Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Jacob. I am uh, the digital coordinator. Um, I'm also the intern coach, and I was reminded that I'm also the reigning volunteer of the year. So I have the jacket for that, um, if Sam could bring that up for me. Thank you. So um, this is the volunteer of the year jacket, and I just wanted to um, show that. So I'm going to put that here. Um, so you guys will remember. Uh, today we're returning to our series in Galatians uh, for Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 29. But before that, because it's been like three weeks since we've been in Galatians, I want to do a quick, quick like recap on what we've done um, so far. So um, week one, uh, Mike came and he talked about um, what the gospel is um, and that it is gospel um, f- uh, one gospel for everybody. And then we had Ashley uh, coming in and she talked to us about uh, where are we going, our trajectory, where are we going, and is where we're going gospel-centered. Uh, then week three, Mike came back and he talked to us about identity, about what is enslaving us, and how we should then live in the light of this gospel message. And then just before the break, um, Mark came in um, and he talked about uh, persevering in faith and gave us an encouragement to hold on to the real gospel. And so now we get to this week, Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 29, and I've titled this message, The Law and the Promise. And you might be noticing, Jacob, that doesn't say the gospel in it. And all the other ones were about the gospel. So are you going to talk about the gospel tonight, or are you just going to tell us what to do and how we should do it? And I will talk about the gospel tonight, but we've got to get past all of the law and promise stuff before I'm allowed to. Um, But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever made a promise to somebody that you've had to break because of something the other person has done? Um, let me give you some examples. Perhaps you said, don't worry, I've got you covered for tonight. I'm going to pay for your meal. And then you go to pay for the meal and realize not only has that person paid for their own meal, they've also paid for your meal. And you're like, well, cool. Now I owe you dinner um, because I was supposed to pay tonight, not you. Um, Perhaps another one, um, slightly less uh, nice, is you promise to pick somebody up at seven o'clock to get ready for church in the morning on time, and you park outside and go, oh, hey, I'm check my text, hey, I'm here, ready to pick you up. And then 7.10 rolls around, and 20 past seven rolls around, and half past seven rolls around, and you drive and you get to church, because now you are late to church. And then you go, well you get a message that goes, hey, you didn't come and pick me up. And you're like, you were asleep when I came. You weren't here. I couldn't pick you up because you weren't there. I, I, I'll give one last example and then, and then we'll, we'll um, move on. But um, I, my brother and I were going to do a Father's Day dinner together. Um, and obviously, because I tried to book the night before, everything was booked. Um, so we then decided, all right, we'll do two weeks. I'll book in advance and we will 100% we're doing it this night. And so I book in advance and it gets to six o'clock on the night that we're going to go. And I go, all right, are we meeting at your place and then driving there or what's the deal? And he goes, oh, did you book? I've already got plans now, so I can't come. So uh, I guess rain check. The feeling that you feel when you, you can't fulfill a promise because somebody else has broken what you need for them to fulfill the promise. You can't fulfill the promise because it's impossible for you to fulfill the way people are right now. I think God felt like that about the Israelites. 
He goes, I've given Abraham this promise and you guys just keep worshipping golden calves and worshipping Baal and you just keep going off the wrong direction and on these wrong paths and I want to fulfill this promise but I can't because you're not ready for it. So before I get into the law and the promise, um, let's pray and um, then we'll just we'll get, we'll get kicked off. Uh, Lord, I, I pray um, that your Holy Spirit just, just comes in and fills this place tonight, Lord. Lord, that, that as I speak, that um, it'll be your words and not my own, that, that hearts will be changed and, and transformed tonight um, in your presence. In your name, amen. amen. All right, we're going to start talking about the law because this is where Paul starts. Um, for some of you, you might be asking the kind of obvious question, what the heck is the law? Are we talking about the entire Ten Commandments? Are we talking about the whole book of Leviticus? What's Paul actually speaking about when he says the word the law or the words of the law? Without going super, super deep and unpacking a whole bunch of scripture, um, the law that Paul's talking about is the Torah. Um, and the Torah is also known as the Pentateuch, and it's the first five books of the Bible. So um, I'm not going to name them because I cannot. Um, but it's uh, Genesis is in there, Leviticus is in there, Deuteronomy is in there, Exodus is in there, and there's another one, and I can't remember what it is. Numbers, thank you. Someone went to Bible school. Um, the, the, this, this Torah or, or, or Pentateuch is then um, split up into, into three different types of laws. Um, and the uh, three of those are ceremonial, civil, and moral. And I'm going to go through each one of these a, a really, really tiny bit. Um, the ceremonial law, um, this had to do with worship and sacrifice. Um, this law was fulfilled in Jesus um, by dying on a cross and the way that he lived his life according to God. Um, the civil law um, is, is much like our governing laws that we have in Australia now. Um, it's the law that's set by the government and uh, it's involved things like how to repay a debt or don't take advantage of um, employees. And Jesus fulfills these laws too by submitting to authority. He submits to the Jewish authority and to the Roman authority. And, and really famously in, in Matthew 22, he says, give to Caesars what is Caesars and give to God what is God's when the Pharisees try to trap him to say, whose authority do you come by? Finally, we get to this law that Paul is talking about here, the moral law. Uh, the moral law was the Ten Commandments. So if that was your guess, you are correct. When Jesus states he's come to fulfill the law, but not to abolish it, he's also talking about this one and the other two. And there are two sides of the argument about the law that Paul is trying to address here. The first one is in that doing all that the moral law requires, we will be saved. And the second one is that it's impossible to do all that the moral law requires, and therefore I'm going to do my best and let Jesus do the rest. The problem is, though, if we don't fulfill every single bit of this law, the Bible says we are cursed. And to be cursed is to bring the judgment and wrath of God upon you. And it's a pretty bad thing. Um, there's a bunch of cities that have that upon them. Um, there's a bunch of people that have that upon them. Jesus had that upon him when he went and died on a cross. If you want to read about what being cursed by God is like, Deuteronomy 28, big chapter full of the curses of God. We understand then that it's not enough to just know what the law is. Because the Jewish people knew what the law is. You have to actually follow the law too. And if you slip up once, 
even once in trying to follow this law, you're done. Straight to hell with you. I'm going to have the um, Ten Commandments up on the screen. That is a real simple list, but I think I've almost broken all of these at one point. Not murder. (laughs) (laughs) But if we look at this law, we can go, "Ah, no one can be justified if I try to live up to just these ten rules. No one. And the point that Paul is trying to make is about a works-based righteousness. And that's why I have this up here, a handy little prop, because you get this Volunteer of the Year award by doing stuff. You get it for showing up, you get it for doing more than it's expected, um, and you get it by uh, like being a good volunteer. The point is that this actually doesn't mean anything. This jacket means nothing in the light of Jesus. And uh, the, the main thing here is, although it's a nice jacket and it's very fancy and the artwork's awesome, um, maybe online you can, you can see it better, I'll hold it up. Um, but it, it doesn't actually mean, any, mean anything in the light of Jesus because this jacket is about works and works does nothing for us. Because if we were saved by what we did, it would no longer be an act of the grace of God that gave us salvation. They gave us righteousness. It means that Jesus died for nothing. And it means that our salvation is attained by how good we are. And when we slip up once, we are eternally punished. On the flip side, though, if we choose to do our best and let Jesus do the rest, we are also cursed. Because we're not letting the full effect of grace take hold of our lives. We, need to, we, we say, I need God, but only when I stuff up. And therefore, I only need God to throw me a life jacket so I can swim the rest of the way. But the curse is not in effect only because of the grace of God. That Jesus would suffer the most shameful death imaginable so that we can have access to the promise that's given to Abraham. Therefore, we have to live under grace and not under the law. But wait a second, Jacob. Why would God give us something that only curses us? And, and isn't this moral law, these Ten Commandments, written on our hearts? Are you saying we should just discard them and get rid of them? No, because the purpose of the law was not salvation, and it never was. It was about revelation and protection. Revelation, what is the thing that separates us from God? And protection, how do we stay holy until this promise is fulfilled? And so the point of the law, the the whole thing that I'm talking about this time, ceremony was civil and moral, it was to keep guard over the people of God, the Israelites, until the promise could come. It was to guide us towards the promise and our need for the promise to be fulfilled. It was to define what sin was and to make us aware of our need of salvation. All of us were put into imprisonment by the law and called sinners through the law. Because what is the point of a savior if you don't have anything to be saved from? And now that faith has been revealed in Jesus, we have access to the promise. And so the purpose of the law is now revelation to tell us what it is that we need saving from. But what is this promise that I'm talking about? Because there's a lot of promises in the Bible 
the focus of the promises in this passage, though, are the ones that are given to Abraham. And um, Abraham gets given um, three different promises. He's promised land, he's promised descendants, and he's promised blessing and redemption. And he's given to Abraham, this actual promise was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, verses 16 to 18. And it's going to be on the screen, and I'm going to read off of it. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Importantly, this promise is given before the law was given to Moses. It means the promise isn't dependent on the law. And if we read carefully, it's dependent solely on God. It's a covenant and it wasn't dependent on keeping the law. A covenant in ancient Israel is a binding contract. And and let's read Hebrews um, chapter 6 verses 13 to 18. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Next slide. People swear by something greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and it puts an end to all argument because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged by two unchangeable things that God cannot lie and he swore an oath, was this covenant made. It shows the importance of this covenant to God that he would swear by himself the promise. This says that if I, God, fail to fulfill this promise, I will surely die. This promise is then fulfilled in Jesus, the offspring of Abraham, as we know from the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter one. Through his life, death, and resurrection, we now have access to this promise through faith. And I want to pause here for a second and just take, take that in a little bit. We're, we're no longer this label of sinners because we get access to this promise through faith. That we now have this promise of blessing and redemption. We now have this promise of descendants. We now have this promise of land. Don't you see how big of a deal that is? And how do we get it? Through faith. What kind of faith? Well, the word for faith in this passage, the Greek word, is pistis. Everyone say pistis. This word is used over 200 times in the New Testament, and it's so important because Paul uses this word when he talks about justification by faith. The source word of this word, though, is pytho. Everyone say pytho. It means to be convinced or to have confidence or conviction. This conviction is the same that Paul uses in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is faith. 
And this is faith. This faith is then how we receive this promise that's given to Abraham because we put our faith in Jesus' faithfulness. We haven't seen the faithfulness of Jesus. I know about you. I wasn't an eyewitness to Jesus' story. But I have faith that Jesus did all that the gospel said he did. It's the kind of faith that says, though I don't see you, God, though I don't heal you and, and feel, you, feel you in my life, I still trust that you are walking with me. I still trust that you died on the cross. I still trust that you rose three days later. And I still trust that my only hope and my only salvation is found in you, Jesus. The guarantee of our saving faith rests solely on trust because it is not a faith based on what we know. It is a faith based on promises that are fulfilled in Jesus, in who he did, in, in who he was and what he did. Now that faith has come, we are inheritors to this promise. And now we get to verses 26 and 29. And everything up until now has been a prelude to these three verses. Because it's not about what you do. It's about who you are and who you belong to because you can't hold your identity in something that you were dead to. And in Jesus, you are dead to your sin because you were a sinner, but now you have this new identity because you've been set free by Jesus and the shackles of shame and the shackles of sin and the shackles of guilt and the shackles of doubt have been broken off of you. Why? Because Jesus took those keys away. And so now your identity isn't a sinner. Your identity is now follower of Jesus no, that's not right. It's more than that. Verses, verse 28, because what unites us is more powerful than anything that could possibly divide us. Not political affiliation, not race, not gender, not financial status, not even your relationship situation. Any earthly situation pales in comparison to the glory of knowing Christ Jesus. And that is what we are one in. That is what we are united in. And so anything that we divide ourselves with that is earthly is directly against the unity of Christ. The oneness we find in Jesus when you say, I have more in common with my non-Christian friends than my Christian friends, what does that say about your relationship with Jesus? Your identity isn't just a follower of Jesus, but a co-heir to the promises with Abraham. And we can be called children of God through Jesus. And this identity leads us to our purpose. A purpose not reliant on what we do, but on who Jesus is and what he's already done. So you need to stop focusing on trying to live a good, righteous Christian life in your own strength because you're never going to get there. I'm never going to get there. No one's going to get there. Because don't you know that those who live under the law are cursed? And the law tells us the consequences of our sin. So trying to live a good or a righteous life in your own strength is only going to make you angry at God for all the free living you're missing out on. I don't get to drink and party as much as my friend because I'm a Christian. I don't get to sleep around like my friends because I'm a Christian. I have to stay single because I'm a Christian. We say things like, I look at other people who seem happier but not holier than me. 
I am more righteous than these people. And, and God, I am angry and I'm jealous and I've been he- here with you all this time. I've sacrificed for you. I've, 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 where is my house? Where is my relationship? Where is my dream job? Where is all the good things that you have promised? Where is my blessing? This is the same heart that the oldest son had in the story of the prodigal son. And you know what he decides to do? Actually, I don't want to be in the presence of the father anymore. I'm going to choose to step outside of that because they don't deserve it. I do. They don't deserve this blessing. I deserve this blessing. And if that means I have to be separate from God to get it, then I'll do that. When we try in our own strength to be holy, we don't trust God, but we trust our own mind and our own willpower and our own strength to do the work that God has already done. The quote Mike gave in the first week is so essential to to this understanding of our journey with God. We contribute nothing to our salvation except the very sin that made that salvation necessary. So your question then might be, does what I do actually matter then? Because if, 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 if I'm not saved by works, do I just get to do whatever I want? Is grace going to cover it all and then that's it? Of course what you, does ma- what you do matters, but what you do isn't going to change your salvation. Because if you want to be saved, you have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, believing in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. But is salvation only about your eternity? Are you just here on this journey because you want to be sure of your final destination? Are you just here in this room because you say, I want to be in heaven? Or is there more? If so, you have totally missed the point of the grace of God. Because it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card for sin. It's not a license that says, I can do whatever I want. There's no license that says, I can sin as much as I want because I know grace has got it covered. It's not that kind of grace. It's the grace of God that frees us from sin. It doesn't free you to sin. It frees you from it because you no longer are imprisoned by sin. That's the law's job, to imprison you in sin. Grace's job is to free you from it. Jesus' job is to free you from it. And some of you are living like you were still imprisoned. Some of you are living in a way that says, you know what, the grace of God actually is sufficient for all of my sin and all of my shame, including the ones that I continue to choose to submit to every day. That the imprisonment of sin I choose to submit to again and again. Why? Because I know it. And I'm comfortable in it. But the freedom of Jesus isn't comfortable because you don't know it. Where's Jesus going to call me? What has he got in store for me? Is what Jesus have better, has for me better than what I've got right now? Is what Jesus has for me healthier for what I, am, what I want right now? Does it align with what I want? Does it, bring, does it bring more friends to me? Does it bring more popularity to me? Does it bring more followers on Instagram? Does it bring me the relationship that I desire? I don't know, but it's definitely better than any single plan that we can come up with because the question isn't, do I live under law or live under grace? 
The question is, do I live un- want to live under the authority of Jesus or under the authority of sin? Because you can't pick both. Because the lie of sin promises freedom. But the truth of Jesus, when you are bound to Jesus, when you are tied to Jesus, when you are submitted to Jesus, he has already obtained this freedom through his blood. And you go, I want to go back to being imprisoned. I don't want to be free anymore. I want to be free to do what I want to do, but I don't want to be free to stop doing those things. Because isn't it strange that when we lie once, it's hard to stop lying? And isn't it strange how once we sleep with our girlfriend once or boyfriend, it's hard to stop? And isn't it strange when we start to covet what other people have and we get jealous for what other people have, we start to get jealous about everything? Because the problem of sin is that it promises you freedom, but it only imprisons you and keeps you locked up in your bubble of sin because sin is addictive. And when Jesus said, I came to set you free and I have set you free and you go, actually, I want to feed my addiction. So when you ask, does what I do matter? Of course, what you do do matters. It's not, do I need to follow all the rules or does what what I do not matter? It's who am I and who do I belong to? What authority do you claim? Do you claim the authority of Jesus in your life? Do you live in a way that claims the authority of Jesus in your life? When we seek justice and when we, when we, when we follow these, these, these social justice issues in our life and we're so okay with doing that and yet we struggle to go, you need Jesus. And what really is going to set you free from these things is Jesus. And what's really going to save the world from these problems is Jesus. But that's too hard to talk about because what if they don't want to talk to me anymore because they think I'm being self-righteous? And what if they don't want to talk to me anymore because they don't want to follow the Jesus that I follow? What master do you serve? The call then is to be made one in Christ to be clothed in his righteousness and not our own. When we share, when we're one in Christ, we share in this inheritance that's promised to Jesus. And this is the good news of the gospel. I told you I'd talk about the gospel. It is a sure thing that we can hope for. That in Jesus, we're saved from our sins. In Jesus, we're raised to life again. That in Jesus, we have a guarantee of an eternal destination and we have a guarantee in Jesus of life and life in its fullness right now. The question is, are we found to be in Jesus? John Stott says this about belonging to Christ. It enables me to answer the most basic of human questions. Who am I? And to say, in Christ, I am a son of God. In Christ, I am united to all of the redeemed people of God, past, present, and future. In Christ, I discover my identity. In Christ, I find my feet. And in Christ, I come home. We come back to the question 
in verse 29, do I truly belong to Jesus? Not just a little bit. Not just on Sundays. Not just on life group nights. Not just at youth nights. Do I truly, fully belong to Jesus? Do I submit my whole life to him? This walk with Jesus isn't something we can turn on and off. That's the lie of sin. It's the lie of the devil. You can turn off your Christian walk. You can fake it, and you can come to Sunday and fake it, and you can come to life group and fake it. But you can't fake it with God, because he knows you, and he knows your heart. And so tonight I want to finish on that question as we reflect, do I truly belong to Jesus? Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.